Welcome to the Faith at Work podcast. I'm Pastor Jim Melvin. The messages of Faith at Work address spiritual, religious, and scriptural issues with practical value for your life at work or at home. I invite you to join me each week in exploring the questions which defy easy answers. What's the purpose of my life? Why is there so much suffering in the world? How can I become the best version of myself? We'll often be turning to scripture, other sources of religious wisdom, and the events of everyday life to help us in our spiritual quest. I try to relate without prejudice to people of all religious traditions and those who claim no religious allegiance at all. Today's episode takes a little different form than my previous podcast. I tell a personal story from my early life that I hope you will enjoy and can maybe relate to in a meaningful way. All my life I have taken great pleasure in solitary pursuits. My favorite pastime as a child was model building. A long wooden shelf in our laundry room housed an ever-growing collection of military airplanes and ships. Having never seen one of these war machines up close, their plastic replicas became my reality. In my mind, my miniature squadron took flight the laundry room airspace, and my armada of naval vessels relentlessly bombarded enemy shores, I guess in the adjoining kitchen. Gallant troops fought the tiny wars of my imagination. Davis Paint Store, which occupied a prime storefront on Main Street, served as my armory. Barricaded behind banks of orderly shelves where Mr. Davis merchandised gallons of Mott's paint, turpentine, rollers, and real horsehair brushes, hundreds of Revel models kits awaited my inspection. Revel models were made with such precision that in the 1960s it was discovered that the Kremlin had purchased them as part of the Russian military intelligence program. That came as no surprise to me, fascinated as I was by the detailed miniature guns protruding from clear bomber turrets, the Lilliputian sailors that manned the decks of the battleships, and the accurately depicted rivets on airplane wings and ship decks that evidently betrayed construction techniques to the Russians. Revel's models were rivaled by their packaging. Each box face bore a red, white, and blue flag-like logo, with Revel written large in yellow letters, where the star field should have been located. A full-color illustration of the plane or ship, whose pieces weighted assembly in the box, depicted the enclosed craft in glorious action. Circling the shelves in the model section of Davis Paint rivaled going to the library for me. I would pluck a cellophane-covered box from the shelf and peruse the arcane specs detailed on the box side, like reading the spine of a science fiction novel, which I also love to do. Mr. Davis, a bespectacled barrel-shaped man, would leave whatever he was doing when I entered the store, even tending a legitimate paint customer, to guide me to his latest Revel acquisition. I thought of Mr. Davis as a serious military man and frustrated modeler, forced to put up with the indignity and hassle of selling paint. On the rare occasion that I would accompany my father on a paint-buying trip, my relationship with Mr. Davis altered a bit. He would communicate with me with a sidelong glance, 
come back tomorrow, and I'll show you the new X-15 model. Dad just wouldn't understand. A certain intoxication attended model building. To start with, the smell of solvents permeated the atmosphere of Davis paint. It's likely that my model shopping euphoria was half fascination with the models and half the result of inhaling what today would be considered an unacceptable level of volatile chemicals. The actual construction of the models also involved the inhalation of hardcore solvent vapors emitted by testers' glue. I may have been addicted to model building in more ways than I'm aware. Well, I'm sobered up now, so let me get to the point of my story. One Saturday morning, as I eagerly anticipated what Revel engineers might have conjured up for me, Mr. Davis sprung from behind the counter with enthusiasm that was unusual even for him. Without saying a word, he motioned me toward the model cove. He beat me there and slipped from the shelf the largest model kit that I'd ever seen, a giant B-17 superfortress. Thought you might like to see this, Mr. Davis grinned, and left me to my own revels. To this point, I have avoided talking about the great challenge, which constantly confronted the military build-up occurring above my mom's ringer washer. My defense budget. Unable to issue war bonds, I had to rely upon other sources of funding. My modest allowance, money earned mowing lawns and shoveling sidewalks, and, at last resort, tearful begging from my parents or older sisters. But the cost of the mighty B-17 defied all of these possibilities put together. That little white tag that Mr. Davis had so nonchalantly affixed to the corner of the box contained one too many digits and spelt my doom. But as America had tooled up for the seemingly impossible task of defeating the Germans, so would I rise to the occasion. My patriotic spirit would not be crushed. This was the American dream we're talking about. The war had been won in life-size. I would not lose it in 148th scale. And besides, I had a birthday coming. Then it happened. Divine intervention. Or at least a sign. Dad had worked this particular Saturday morning as, and was unaware of my earlier trip to see Mr. Davis. As we sat together at the kitchen table, munching our bologna on white bread and mayo sandwiches, and slurping Campbell's tomato soup, Dad stopped mid-slurp and said, Want to go down to Davis's? I have to buy some paint for the bookshelves I just built at the school. Thank you, Jesus. Sure, I shrugged, careful not to overplay my hand. I might check out the models, I added with perfect nonchalance. Have you even finished that ship you got last week, he said. Did I just hear an accusatory tone in his voice, insinuating that I was spending too much time and money at what he thought was a mere child's hobby, which it certainly was not? Stay calm. Stay cool. Yeah, I finished it Tuesday. I just want to look. That's what I said. What I thought was, darn right I finished it. I've gone almost four days without a whiff of testers. I need a fix. I'm fighting a war here. Emotions well in check, though. I feigned interest in the civilian construction project he had underway, and even suggested that he might try a new color of paint. That was non-starter. 
The shelves and fixtures at Washington Emerson School would remain uniformly gray. Ironically, battleship gray. When we entered the store, Mr. Davis greeted us without a hint of betrayal to indicate that I had left him not more than two hours earlier. Once again, there was that band of brothers silent communication. While Mr. Davis went to the back to stir the battleship gray enamel Dad had picked out, but paint those days was stirred, not shaken, I retrieved the box B-17. Look at this, I said, pushing that spectacular kid up inches from his face. He actually took the box in his hands and inspected it admiringly. As his eyes scanned over that landmine of a price tag, I detected a slight wince and a sudden intake of breath. Bad sign. He handed the box back to me, and I replaced it to the shelves. Okay, maybe I pushed it back a little deeper on the shelf than where it had been before, and maybe even stacked a couple of lesser models in front of it. This was a one-of-a-kind, and there were other modelers in independence, and all fair in love and model war. On the short drive home, Dad launched into a story told to him by my uncle on my mom's side. Uncle George was a Navy veteran who had survived the torpedoing of the USS Ringgold. He described in gory detail dragging the dead off flak-shredded bombers, returning from near-suicide runs, and hosing human remains out of the gunnery turrets. I'd heard these stories on television, but this was my smiling Uncle George who had lived it. So far, my miniature fleet had sustained no casualties. The days dragged on toward my birthday. I made regular trips to visit and check on the welfare of the plane, that I prayed would soon go into assembly on my work desk. Note, I actually got down on my knees beside my bed every night and prayed specifically that a 148th scale Revel B-17 Super Fortress would be delivered on or before my birthday. The clock was ticking. Then it happened. Three days before my birthday, the kit had disappeared from behind the battlements where I'd stashed it. I checked all the shelves. I checked them three times. It was gone. Now this meant one of two things. First, please, God, please, Dad got my not-so-subtle hint and bought it as a surprise for me. Now, that would have meant a sacrifice for him financially. But aren't parents supposed to sacrifice for their kids? Or two, Marty Reedy, or another undeserving rival of greater financial means, who could in no way truly appreciate this plane, had bought it from under my nose. I left the store. I couldn't ask Mr. Davis. I wouldn't put him in that position. On the one hand, he would not betray my father if he'd bought it. On the other hand, he would have felt awful to tell me that the plane had fallen into enemy hands. I'd have to wait. This must be the agony experienced by commanders waiting at the airfield to learn which of his crews returned and which didn't. I couldn't sleep. I didn't eat. Well, I did retain my appetite. But it came down to the night before my birthday. After supper, in Midwestern fashion, we supped, not dined. As my mother cleaned up the dishes, Dad led me down into the cellar. 
I detected a satisfied grin on his face. Be still, my heart. I could hardly maintain my balance walking down the concrete steps to the cellar. It was a dirt-floored cellar, not a basement. And we stepped side by side up to his workbench. And there it was. The silver airplane. But it was not the Revo B-17 Super Fortress kit. Dad had fashioned a crude Piper Cub-style airplane out of the rough wood salvaged from peach crates and painted it silver using aluminum gutter paint. I know where he bought that paint. The propeller was a piece of twisted tin nailed to the front of the craft. It rested on silver wheels made from matching jarlets. Now today that plane would be marketable as a piece of primitive art. But it was not my dream. It was my nightmare. In an instant, despite the shock, I knew that I could not let Dad sense my disappointment. And so I smiled up at him and thanked him. But as I half-heartedly fingered the rough surfaces of the work of his hands, I could see that he knew. He knew my disappointment. He knew that I felt embarrassed for him, that he could not provide me with the object of my dreams. In that irretrievable instant, I had transformed my proud father into a profound failure. We went back upstairs for dessert, as though nothing had happened, but it most certainly had. The next day on my birthday, I did receive a model kit. I don't even remember what it was, or if I even bothered to assemble it. Something had broken inside of me. Everything was different. Maybe it's just as well. Before long, the reality of war would enter our home through black-and-white clips of soldiers dying in Vietnam on TV. That was too close. The laundry room housed a mothball fleet headed eventually to the garbage pail. War is hell. But I moved on. I didn't give up modeling. My focus now shifted to building car models. I gained skill in using the new tester's spray paints. I earned trophies for a copper 1957 Chevy and a metallic blue Corvette Stingray, which Mr. Davis proudly displayed on his counter. The 57 Chevy doors swung open wide and, mounted on a mirror platform, went on to place second in the Iowa State Model Car Contest. By then I got a job working at Bob Usgard's Standard Gas Station, and my interest shifted to one-to-one scale vehicles. The 57 Chevy and the Stingray soon followed my fleet into the garbage. My dad died in 1986. He was a good dad, and I try to believe that I was a good son. In the intervening years, we never spoke of the sadness of that night before my birthday in the cellar, when so much passed between us. There were a lot of things we never said to each other. We never said, I love you. I take what comfort I can in the hope that love is beyond words. But I would sure say it to him today if I had the chance. I had to drive 60 miles by myself to be with my mother the day that my sister called and said that Dad had died. I drove in silence. All I could think of was the silver airplane. Thank you for joining me. 
I hope you'll stop back again. May God bless you in your work and your play, when you're at home and when you're